please join me as we read the prayer of illumination together. Almighty God, through your only Son, you overcame death and opened to us the light of eternity. Enlighten our minds and kindle our hearts with the presence of your Spirit, that we may hear your words of comfort and challenge in the reading of the scriptures. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our reading this morning is from John 14, 1 through 7. This is what the Holy Scripture says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you myself to where I may be, I am with you also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, if you had known me, um, him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. May God bless the reading of his word. And together the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. So we're in John 14. Jesus is with his disciples. They're scared. They're anxious. They're concerned. They had left everything to be with Jesus, to follow this man. They left their jobs. They left their homes. They left their reputations. And now Jesus was leaving them. Jesus saw their concern. He felt their anxiety and fear. He knew what they were experiencing in that moment. And he told them, do not let your hearts be troubled. His father in heaven had a house with many rooms. And Jesus was leaving to prepare a place for them. Jesus told his disciples about life after death. He said, I'm leaving to prepare a place for you so that you will have life, eternal life, with God. Now let's stop and consider this bold claim that Jesus is making about reality. That there's more than our physical experience. Jesus is saying that there's a supernatural aspect to all of reality. And I would argue we can divide humanity into two groups. In group one are those people who believe that we cease to exist when we die. In group two is everyone who believes we continue to exist when we die. You're in one group or the other. 
Now, if you're here this morning and you happen to be in group one, and you believe that we cease to exist when we die, you might be hearing Jesus' words, and perhaps you respond with a shrug, because in your mind, there is no house, there is no room waiting for you, there's nothing. When you die, that's it. Now, if this describes your perspective, I would love a chance to sit down with you. I would love a chance to hear your thoughts, to engage with you, and ask you various questions. Does life have meaning and purpose? What is your understanding of hope and love? And does your view of the afterlife have any implications for how you live day to day? And I would also want to explore with you what I believe is perhaps an inherent contradiction in what you believe about the afterlife and how you live your life. And I'm not the only one that sees this contradiction. Albert Albert Camus was a French philosopher and author from the first half of the 20th century. And he's a well-known atheist. Camus was quoted as saying this, that the silence of the universe has led me to conclude that the world is without meaning. The silence of the universe is one way of saying that there is no God. That the universe is empty. There is no person or being out there. There's just silence. And for Camus, that meant life has no meaning. But here's where the contradiction shows itself. For Camus did not live his life according to this belief. His good friend actually was quoted as saying this, Camus continues to think despair, even to write it, but he lives hope. And perhaps that's you. Perhaps you're in group one and you sense that contradiction within you of what you believe happens to you when you die and yet how do you reconcile that with your desire to live with hope? And again, I hope you'll reach out. I'd love to sit and talk with you about these ideas and and these feelings. They're so important. But I'm going to spend the rest of my time this morning speaking to those of you in group two. Those of you who believe in an afterlife. Who believe that when we die, we continue on in some sort of existence. We have a different struggle than those in group one. We have a different question we're confronted with. What happens when we die? If we do continue to exist, where do we go? In our passage, Jesus is offering one possible answer. When we die, we go to be with God. To live with God. God has a house. It has many rooms. And Jesus has prepared a room for us. A dwelling place with God. I don't think we have to take that literally as if there is an actual house. And you have a designated room. Jesus' point is this. You will dwell with God. You will be with God. You will be reunited in relationship with Him for eternity. 
However, the question that haunts those of us in group two is how do we get there? How do we get there? And in our story, Thomas expresses the confusion and anxiety so many of us feel. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? And so for those of us in group two, this is the struggle. We believe there's some sort of life after death. We believe spirituality is important. We believe there's something there. We just don't know for sure. We don't know what will happen. Therefore, we cannot be dogmatic to what happens to us when we die. We don't know, so it's much better to be open to the possibilities of what might be. Now, last year, uh, the movie Flatliners was released, and it tells the story of medical students who intentionally stop their hearts to explore the afterlife. That's actually a remake. Maybe some of you remember the old 1990s film. Uh, in, in an article promoting this new version, uh, they asked the actual actors what they believe happens to us when we die. Diego Luna, maybe you, you know him from Rogue One, the Star Wars film. Uh, he, he said he believes that we become part of a greater energy force. Ironically, kind of like Star Wars. <laughs> uh, uh, Nina Dobriv, is another actor, uh, she said she prefers the idea of reincarnation. This idea that we keep coming back. Maybe one time, one life we're human and next life we're a butterfly. And and the last example I want to give is Ellen Page. She said this, I have no theories about it. It's the only, that's the only answer to have, for goodness sake. She doesn't even want to go there. And I think that's where a lot of people are today. How do we even know? We can't know. So it's best not even to try. You're open to the reality of an afterlife. You're just not convinced you can know what it is. And, and yes, to a certain degree, I agree with you, if that's where you're at. But I would encourage you to begin, perhaps, to doubt your doubt. Would you consider doubting your certainty that you don't know? Uh, just because you can't know something with 100% certainty doesn't mean you can't trust it. That's not how you live your life. There's many things you don't know that are 100% certain, and yet you trust it. You live your life as if it is, you know that it's true. And Jesus calls us to that trust. He said in verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is asking you this morning to trust Him. To trust Him. And you might be saying, well, I can, we, can we trust the Bible? Is it reliable? I don't think it is, and therefore, I don't know, and therefore, I'm not even going to try. And, and let me challenge you here this morning. Don't be apathetic on this topic. Would you take the challenge to investigate? Investigate the reliability of the Scriptures investigate the historical reliability of Jesus Christ. Do not be satisfied with this apathetic view that, well, 
There are lots of positions, there are lots of opinions. We don't know for sure, and therefore I'm not even going to try. Do the hard work. Use your mind. Use your intellect. See if the scriptures are reliable historically. See if the person of Jesus Christ is reliable. There is evidence to search and to investigate and to look at if you would only take the time. If you would only make the effort. Would you do that? Because I know our impulse can be, I don't know for sure, so what's the point in trying? Well, the point is everything. It is the most important question any of us can investigate. What happens to us after we die? Now, for, for many of us, doubt may not be the primary struggle. It's not that Jesus offers a view of the afterlife, and we don't know for sure if it's true or not. For some of us, it's the seemingly extreme position Jesus offers us. Do you notice what he says in verse 6? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is effectively saying, I am the true way to life with God. That is what what he's effectively saying by the way and the truth and the life. He's saying, I am the true way to life with God. In other words, Jesus is in fact saying, other paths, other ways will lead you astray. We went, uh, Olivia and I went last night to a David Rawlings and Gillian Welch concert. That might be why she was inspired to play the song for the offertory that she sang. Uh, Rawlings and Welch are, are our favorites. We love their music. And last night they sang uh, one of Rawlings' songs, I Hear Them All. And here's some of the, the words to this song. He says, I hear the tender words from Zion. I hear Noah's waterfall. I hear the gentle lamb of Judah sleeping at the feet of Buddha. And the prophets from Elijah to the old Paiute Wavaka take their places at the table when they're called. I hear them all. I hear them all. I hear them all. I love Rawlings' music. I'm not such a big fan of his theology. Because what he's effectively saying here, this house that God has, no matter what religion you come from, you have a place at the table. I hear them all, and they're all together. Many ways to God, not just one. It's God's house, and it's big enough for people of all religions, following, followers of Buddha, followers of Muhammad, Followers of Oprah, wherever you come from, they'll lead you to the same place. And I have this slide, uh, you might be able to see, kind of this idea, these paths up the mountain. That, that there are many paths and you take your, pick your choice, whichever path you want, and it's going to lead you to the same place. That's a common understanding of so many people today. And, and many Christians, I think, 
hold this position. And I appreciate the intent of Rawlings here. If I were to talk to him, I imagine he would share his visceral reaction against the exclusivity of a position like Jesus's that would say, no, there's only one way to God. Because that feels arrogant. And it feels judgmental. It just feels wrong. And if this is your view, I want to affirm that instinctual reaction against arrogance. And I want to affirm um, this rejection of any attitude of superiority. I'm with you in that regard. I can, I can agree with you. I don't like that either. But I, what I want to argue is that you can hold an exclusive view of the afterlife, but not be arrogant. They are not the same thing. Let's think about it. Go, go back to this slide with the various paths up the mountain. Now, could you not, if I were standing there with you and I were to say, you know, only one of these paths go to the top. The others will not get you there. And you were standing there with me and you knew that there were other paths to God. Would you not be exclusive by telling me, no, you're wrong. There are other paths. You're wrong, Jason. Your view will not, is not true. That's an exclusive claim. And that's okay. It's not bad to be exclusive. We all are. We cannot help it. Tim Keller tells the story of sitting on a, a panel discussion with a Muslim cleric talking about the differences in, in their faiths. And they were doing this in front of a group of college students. And one student stood up and insisted that there was no real difference between the Christian faith and the Muslim faith. That both basically teach us that we are to love God and to love others. But both Keller and the cleric tried to gently argue and show this student that he was not listening to them and he was not respecting their faith and their distinctive views and unique claims about reality. Uh, Keller and the cleric certainly respected each other and they saw the value and the positive teachings within each other's faith, but they were unwilling to say we're the same because they held different views of reality. But the student was adamant. All religions are fundamentally alike. And Keller went on to say this, Ironically, the young man was being every bit as dogmatic, superior, and ideological as any traditional religion adherent can be. He was saying, in essence, I have the true view of religion, and you don't. I can see that you are alike, but you can't. I am spiritually enlightened, and you aren't. And so we see, friends, exclusivity is not the problem. That is not the problem, because we cannot escape it. Arrogance, pride, feelings of superiority... These attitudes are the real issue. 
And I would argue that Jesus' exclusive claim, if we're really listening to what Jesus is saying, is anything but arrogance. And actually should lead us to be the most humble of people. In fact, Jesus' view of the afterlife should lead us to the exact opposite of arrogance and feelings of superiority. Here's why. Because Jesus isn't saying, my teachings are the way, the truth, and the life. That is not what Jesus says. My teachings are what you are to follow to get to God. Jesus is not offering you a path to improve yourself, to work harder, to become a better person. And this is what's unique about what Jesus is offering us. Jesus is basically boiling it down to two paths. Not many. I would argue there are two paths. And I think we have a slide here. The path to the left, I would argue, is a works righteousness path. This is the path that most people, I think, travel who believe in an afterlife and believe that all religions lead to God. And it's basically this. It doesn't matter the religion. It doesn't matter really what you believe as long as you're sincerely trying to be a good person. This path on the left says try to be the best person you can be and that'll be good enough. And here's the truth. I think a lot of Christians are taking that path. They're taking that path. Be the best you can be. That's all God can ask. And that's good enough. And so what we can imagine is someone who, who, who dies and, and they're standing outside of God's house and God asks them, why should I let you in? And that person who has taken that works righteousness path, they've taken that left path, they would answer, I've tried my best. My intentions are sincere. I'm a pretty good person. So you should let me in. Now, I would argue, wouldn't you, that there's an underlying arrogance in that position. In other words, that person is saying, effectively, I've earned my right to be here. Not that they're perfect, but through their sincerity and through their effort, they've earned their right to be welcomed into God's house. Now, can we imagine a college student showing up on campus at Harvard for the first day of classes? An administrator comes up to the student and says, why are you here? We did not accept you. And that student says, well, yeah, but I, I was very sincere. I tried my hardest. I gave my best effort. I deserve to be here you would look at that student and go, how arrogant, how entitled. Who do they think they are? And the same is true with our relationship with God. If you are sitting here today believing in and basing your trust on your ability to be a good person, then my friend, who are you? Who are you? To believe God has that same standard as you have. Just as arrogant as that student who believes Harvard should have the standard of sincerity. Of trying your hardest. 
that is not what we see with Jesus. Jesus says, I am the true way to life. Jesus is warning us to despair of our works righteousness. Jesus is warning us not to take that left path. Because our good intentions are not good enough. Friends, our good intentions are not good enough. Time and time again, we see that in the scriptures. Our good intentions are not good enough. And humility comes when you understand that truth. You're not as good as you think you are. God knows you better than you know yourself. And so, for us... We have to come to that place where we stop trusting in our works righteousness. Where we stop relying on our sincerity. And instead rely on something else. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. What that means is you must rely solely on Him. Solely on Him to find life with God. And when you stand outside of God's house and He says, Why should I let you in? You do not say, because I tried my best. You say, because of Jesus. Do you see the humility that is bred out of that position? Do you see the complete despair of your own righteousness when you point to Christ and say it's because of Jesus? It's that right path that Jesus is telling you to choose. And here is... The twist of all twists in the gospel is the left path. The path of works righteousness is a path where you're asked to walk to find God. The gospel path, the right path, the path of Jesus. And I'm going to get emotional here. I want you to imagine you're standing there and it's Jesus coming down the path to you. You aren't being asked to walk the path. Jesus has come for you. That is the gospel. He has come to embrace you. To bring you to his father's house. Through his death on the cross. Oh, what love. Oh, what love. And it should breed so much humility in us. So that when I look at my friend who, who, is, who is Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist or, or new, whatever their, their faith or no faith, I do not see someone that I'm superior to. And I do not see someone I can look down at. I look at them as someone created in the image of God just like me. Someone who's in desperate need of a Savior, just like me. And I can point them to Jesus. And I can say, He offers you life, just as He offers me life. And that you can have assurance that that life is available for you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, may the truth of the gospel ring true to our hearts this morning. As we prepare to take the supper. And may we hear your voice. As you call us. To come and receive. Your grace this morning.
Amen.